0: testing one two hello this is bill bill this is bob bob how are you doing finally
1: glad to talk with you
0: yeah it's sorry it uh it's it's taken a little while
1: <laughs> no that's okay we're all busy people i understand yeah sorry for not having a webcam i don't know how facebook live worked or else i might have tried to run out to get one real quick
0: yeah it's um i didn't realize that they limited. it they would limit it that way but that's part of learning new platforms so that's right gotta troubleshoot somehow Mm. yeah so um yeah I'm happy to do this sorry it took so long to get it scheduled Um, it's been a little crazy with me constantly traveling around the world but here we are so what's uh frame it up frame it up a little bit for me and for the audience what are we doing
1: Sure. Uh, I, I figured I'd start with a brief introduction so the audience can know who I am and what I'm trying to accomplish and what we'll talk about today. So cool. my name is Bill Fox. I am a uh, doctoral candidate for Argosy University in their School of Business. I am currently doing my dissertation on the sustainability of laser tag and the role that innovation plays on that. Uh, the reason I chose that topic is that I in, since I was in high school, I've actually played laser tag quite a bit traveled the world playing it competitively and I found a love for it. So this is kind of my gift back to that community and a way for me to provide some academic research in a field that, uh, really there isn't much other than uh, trade magazines and such.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: I'm from Pittsburgh. Yep. I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, and the reason that I asked you, Bob, is because I came across, well, for two reasons. Uh, one, I came across some of your research and some of the articles that you had written, uh, and i used it in my dissertation in my literature review uh, also i needed a system i needed a industry expert who has ties to laser tag and other forms of entertainment and with your vast uh, knowledge and experience uh, and your work in vr right now you're a perfect candidate also um, i'm also a big fan of lasers the laser storm system and so this is kind of a little, a little per- personal joy for me as well to talk to you
0: well it's always cool to to have a blast to the past and and talk about laser tag and and really you know there's a lot of similarities obviously between what's happening with the free roam vr stuff and laser tag and you know there's we're constantly Mm -hmm. talking about those those things so hopefully this will prove uh interesting to some people that are listening and if nothing else it'll be fun for you and me
1: there is and i'm glad you said that because that kind of spurred the entire idea of the the paper Uh, One of the overarching problems I'm attempting to figure out is that there are laser tag closings and other uh, family entertainment centers that close. And I'm trying to determine if uh, either lack of innovation in that space or refusal of owners to adapt to innovation, Um, um, in addition to new forms of entertainment, if that's an overarching cause. Specifically, one of the biggest examples that always comes up is VR. So this is I think this is a perfect opportunity to ask some of those questions about the general state um, and see what we can find out
0: interesting cool.
1: So uh, the way this I have this structured is I'm attempting to answer three research questions. So all the questions that I'm going to ask you are directed towards that Um, these this is a qualitative interview meaning that I appreciate if you can go in depth on every answer. This is your opinions as the expert Uh, so feel free to talk as little or as much as you want uh, but it is preferably how you feel about the industry with your expertise on the questions and the subject matter at hand. Awesome. Uh, and
0: with that said, we can
1: start whenever you're ready. Yeah, let's go. All right. So I'm going to start off with a, just a general overview just to set things off and get a foundation. And in your words, Bob, how would you describe the market strength for family enter- the family entertainment industry as it stands today?
0: So that's mar- everything. Market strength of the family entertainment center industry? Yes okay um yeah, interesting question. So um, I think that the family entertainment center industry right now is probably as strong as it's been since maybe the mid 90s when it really started emerging. Um, we've seen uh-huh. a couple of cycles um, driven by a bunch of different things, demographic shifts and real estate trends and and um, and, and I think I think that right now you're seeing, not only um, the growth and emergence of some corporate chain um, family entertainment centers like Dave and Buster's really has found their their stroke and main event, which has gone through some a little bit of retraction and, and retrenchment, but still seems to be doing really well in general. Um, and they just put uh-huh. in a new CEO um, just announced in the last couple of weeks. Um, but but you know historically it's been a community-based business. Um, and I think you're seeing this professionalism of these community-based family entertainment centers really grow. And, and, um, and so I think it's as, as healthy as it's ever been probably and growing rapidly and will you know, and, and, and to the point where it might be even in danger of overexpansion. But, um, I think you're seeing lots of growth in the space and the, and the, the better run parks are doing really, really well. So speaking of growth, um
1: what are the three most innovative forms of entertainment that have made a recent impact on the industry? And what would you attribute to their success?
0: Yeah. I've seen seen a a lot of, yeah, yeah. I, I, well, go ahead. Do finish framing the question? We've seen a lot of,
1: we've seen a lot of different types uh, pop up here and there. Um, And I'm trying to see uh, what, how, what makes them so successful?
0: Yeah. I think one of the biggest trends has been, um, food and beverage, frankly. I think the the, the oh. acknowledgement that food and beverage is the key to the, the, the millennial experience has been, and the quality of the food and beverage has to be better. I think that if you looked back to you know, the '90s and aughts when you had family entertainment centers that were coming out, and and there was snack. It was a snack bar thing, like when GameWorks first came out, which was a joint venture between DreamWorks SKG, which was um, Spielberg, Geffenberg, and and um, Katzenberg's or Geffen's and Katzenberg's company, and they joined forces with Sega, and they created the Sega GameWorks chain of family entertainment centers. The food was you know pizza and hot dogs, and they tried to make it fancy with you know, better sauce on chicken nuggets, but it was still snack bar food by today's standards. And and I think Dave & Buster's is the same thing. And now I think what you're seeing is scratched kitchens emerge in family entertainment centers. And so the menu, the food, the beverage, craft cocktails, microbrews have become a real centerpiece to that. Um, And I think that once that happened, then people started looking at, The entertainment almost a secondary. And so things like Top Golf and Lucky, Lucky Strike Lanes. Um, So Lucky Strike Lanes was really, I think, the first chain to emerge and say, hey, we're going to take something that people have done forever. And we're going to modernize it by making it almost a nightclub gathering experience with high high end cocktails. And they took bowling and they Mm -hmm. made it a night, a, a really kind of a cool hip experience. And then you saw emerging out of that. Top Golf, where they took a driving range, they gamified it and wrapped, a, wrapped that around a food and beverage experience. But when you talk to the customers that go to those things, they go there because it's a place to hang out with their friends and eat and drink. And there's some, the, the entertainment is almost secondary. And um, hmm. And so I think that's the biggest trend that I've seen emerge in the family entertainment center business is now they are becoming much more food and drink forward. Um, and so, and, and coupled to that is really becoming like, uh, like going after the millennial market where, um, it's not as much about like the children's entertainment centers, like Chuck E. Cheese would have been where it's an arcade and a redemption center and, and a laser tag arena. You're really seeing higher end, um, you're seeing higher end places getting built. And so I would say that's probably the Hmm. biggest trend, um, and probably not one you would have expected me to talk about. Um, no. Definitely, some fascinating points. Uh, can I do a follow up question on that one? Yeah, absolutely. So,
1: for s- smaller standalone centers like laser tags, what can they do to compete against these bigger uh, chains that have access to be able to provide these quality foods?
0: Yeah, that's like a really that? it's think- a really good question, and and it's and it's um, the same answer for the mom and pop shoe store on Main Street um, that's trying to compete huh. with Walmart or Target or 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 pay less. Um, and it's really, really understand your core customer and cater to mm-hmm. that customer. I think the larger entertainment centers, because they're so big, because they have to do so much business to support their overhead and their infrastructure, um they kind of have to cater to multiple markets and so one of the challenges that you find for a multi-entertainment family entertainment center like a dave and busters is you know you've got kids in there running around with mom and dad and does a you know a a 30 year old couple or four or six friends want to be in that same environment and i think i so i think that really understanding your market and 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 narrowing down your target is the the key to success in any kind of small private business. And one of the things I saw, there's a large family entertainment center that's very VR based opened in Dubai about a year and a half ago called The Hub. Um, and it's a it's uh-huh. got to be a, a ten or fifteen or twenty million dollar investment to build this place. And it's the thing that I loved about it was it was real. Like they used licensed intellectual property. They had Gears of War laser tag, like officially licensed
1: <laughs> Gears of War
0: laser tag. I can't imagine what that would have cost. Um, Final Fantasy yeah. VR motion simulator attraction. Like they took the biggest AAA names in gaming and they wrapped the, and oh. they and they put those licenses around really custom um uh, VR and um and entertainment experiences and they also had soft play and they also had an esports arena and they had these little kid things and the place has actually been a failure and 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 I believe yeah. the reason it's it's been a failure is cuz they didn't target a market and I don't think that you know 20-somethings want to hang out with his little kids playing in a ball pit and a bouncy house and and so I think that that's, that's my advice to any small business is tar- narrow your target. Narrow, 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 narrow. Fair enough. I want to circle back to the previous question about innovative
1: mm. forms of entertainment. Essentially what I'm asking with this question is that there's been a large trend of, say, escape rooms and jump houses. Do you think those have, are going to have a lasting impact on the industry or they're more of just a fad, something different, and it will go away?
0: Well, look, I I think time will tell. When I started LaserStorm, I had lots of people say it was going to be a fad, and that was in 1990. (laughs) So that's, what, 28 years ago? Um, And there's more laser tag tag arenas now than there ever have been. And so um, I think that that's proven to not be a fad, and we can talk about some of the reasons of that. Um, if you want. But I think that escape rooms, I I think the challenge with escape rooms is can they keep them fresh? There's not the the nice thing about laser tag and anything where there's a competitive element to it. And this goes to free roam VR um, is, or some free roam VR where there's competition, whether you're competing against your friends or with your friends and, and there's an ability to improve and the game changes. And there's a sense of agency um, over your experience that, Um, there's a lot of repeat value to that, you know, the competition drives repeat play. And that's why laser tag has endured. Um, But I think that escape rooms, once you've done it, you've done it. And so how can they innovate cost effectively? How quickly can they they iterate experiences and change them up enough to where it keeps people engaged? I think that's a question that will be answered over time. But innovation, you know, storytelling innovation within escape rooms is absolutely core to their ability to survive. And and mm-hmm, I don't think mm-hmm. that's been the case in laser tag, um, because because of the competitive element. Right. Right. Okay. So there was we'll another one. You, said, on you said you said you said escape rooms and something else. I think you said bounce houses, but I'm not quite sure what you meant by that. Uh, trampoline parks. Uh, the trampoline park. trampoline yeah. parks. Yes. Yeah. And so trampoline parks are a great example, by the way, of a business that really focuses narrowly in an age group. Right. And. Um, and so, uh, you know, they're, they're, I think the, the core market for trampoline parks is probably like, like seven to 13. It's really narrow. Now, do they get fringe? Do you get 16 year olds in there and do you get five year olds in there? Yeah. But I guess 80, I'm thinking 80% of the businesses in that, like seven to 12, seven to 13 year old age group. Um, and they do really well because they focus really narrowly and, and, um, mm-hmm. And, and a lot of them are looking at VR experiences to, as a way to try to like, you know, augment their product offering. And I tell them it's just the wrong market. It's the wrong demographic and to stay away from them. And, and I think the ones that have tried it haven't done very well. But what we are seeing is really interesting. And I know there's a VR thing, but we're seeing guys who operate. One of the biggest trends I'm seeing is operators of trampoline parks going and opening laser techs, um, um VR centers separately from the trampoline parks because I think they see, A, it's more compact and it's more it's, it's easier to operate, I think. But they also see some of the same advantages of it, which is you know if you get in early, you can ride a wave. And I, I think the problem with trampoline parks, um, and this is the problem we saw with laser tag, I think in the mid-90s, was there was very little barrier to entry. Like when I started LaserStorm and showed up at IAPA in 91, there was us and Cusar. There were two companies. Within three years, there were a dozen companies selling laser tag equipment. Um, and so what happened is you started to see a race to the bottom in pricing, which made it really accessible right. so anybody could open a laser tag arena, and they popped up on every corner. And there was a bit of an expansion, and then a retrenchment, which you see in a lot, of, a lot of businesses. And I think you're seeing that in trampoline parks now, where there's no barrier to entry other than money and you can open them in anywhere. Right. There's plenty of warehouse space available and, and you're starting to see some of the, the better ones like survive and you're starting to see trampoline parks open up in higher end retail. Like there's one and i have talking to a guy who's in San Antonio, Texas and he's opened one in like triple a retail and they're crushing it. Um, and and it's because of the location where all these other ones are buried in like warehouse districts. He's taken, you know, he's taken uh, an old Best Buy or, or you know, these big box retailers are really struggling. And so you're starting to see this real estate come right. available. And that was something that happened in like the to- 90s. Yeah, it's what had Toys R Us and yeah, another one, right? So um, I think in the 90s, we saw real estate get available and cheap. And that was one of the things that drove the FEC expansion in the 90s. And we're seeing that again now.
1: Well, that's another beauty of not only laser tag but the appeal of trampoline parks is the majority of the costs are in the upfront and getting it constructed. Yep. Once you're over there, all you have to pay for is really rent and staff, and you have a high profit margin. So
0: I, I remember, I uh, why they- I, yeah, I remember when I was um, when I was raising money for Laserstorm before we took it public. One of the one of the event, uh, investment bankers made the comment. He said, "It's kind of like a brothel." He's like, you know, you just kind of. <laughs> He's like, you rent it out, you wipe it down, and you rent it out again. He's talking to the equipment, which I thought was terrible, but, <laughs> um, but hilarious at the same time. Um, yeah, it's a really high oh. margin. It's a really high margin business once you're operating it. The labor rates are fairly low. Um, it doesn't require a tremendous amount of skilled labor, um, and yeah, you're just renting out time, and it's just a function of footprint. You know, rent and, and, and how many people can you cram through the space in, in a given hour.
1: Oh, I, that quote is so making it in my paper. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. That, that, was a, that was a great answer. That was more than I was expecting. But uh, so that leads me to my next one. We talked about how things will determine in the future. So in the next five years, what changes in en- the entertainment market can we reasonably expect to see? Or do you think we'll see?
0: Yeah, so. I know, um, go ahead. I was going to say five
1: years is a little bit. Uh, A long way to out with how rapid things change but if you had to guess or your personal opinion what changes you think are coming or could be coming
0: yeah I I, I think I I, I think I have a pretty good feel for the next five years I don't think the technology is actually evolving as quickly as people thought it was. Like there's incremental evolution happening with resolution and 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 stuff like that. But with VR, like for example, and some of the AR stuff that's coming out. But I don't I don't expect there to be like out of the blue innovations in the next five years. But if you know that's why they're out of the blue innovations. You never see them coming. Um, so based on what I see, I think you're going to see VR continue to work its way into all kinds of attractions. Um, I think the as the equipment gets more the, the problem we're seeing right now with VR is that it's all consumer techno it's all technology that was designed for the consumer market and the consumer market hasn't developed. And so people are repurposing uh-huh. consumer equipment into, into commercial location based equipment. And I think now that you're seeing big companies look at the market and say, Ah shit, we missed this, um, you're gonna start to see product developed by the manufacturers more specifically for location-based entertainment and you're gonna see the technology work its way into more attractions. So I think you'll see more virtual experiences and then as that's happening, you're gonna see AR, um, things like Magic Leap um, emerge and that's uh-huh. gonna change everything because I think the ability to put an augmented layer onto a real, a reality experience is gonna drive a, a whole um, generation of innovation that it's hard to imagine today. Um, And so I Uh. think that you'll wind up seeing augmented experiences in family entertainment centers everywhere. I think you'll see it in the food and beverage. I think you'll see it in the arcade. I think you'll see it in bowling. I think you'll, you're going to see augmented layers of things everywhere. And I think that's, now it might take more than five years for that to really emerge, but I think that's the next big trend you're going to see. Now, you said
1: that a lot of places are looking to add on virtual reality. Do you think virtual reality is just that and add on to an existing family entertainment center? Or can it be something that an arcade, like a virtual reality arcade is built as a standalone and be successful?
0: Yeah, um, I think the virtual reality arcade thing is difficult right now because the way people are approaching it. Um, they're just taking and taking consumer experiences and putting them in and renting it out by the hour, which commoditizes the the experience and and i think it's hard to make money on commodities right commodities tend to be low volume things that we sell and trade i think that um so there needs to be some more innovation in the vr space um to be able to make it um you know like and I'll, i'll go back to laser tag as an example the laser people didn't take worlds of wonder laser tag and which was, I don't know how far, how, you know, you might not be old enough to remember that, but if you've done the research, you're probably familiar who they are. But Worlds of for, for anybody listening, Worlds of Wonder was um, the, the company that invented, kind of invented the consumer. They, they coined the term laser tag, they trademarked it, and then they came out with a consumer product. And um, it was the same company that the Teddy Ruxpin talking teddy bear, which was really successful, um, in the following Christmas. And so laser tag was a big phenomenon. And, um, but you didn't see people buying laser tag at Toys R Us and opening laser tag arenas with it. It was a consumer product that stayed in the consumer realm, and then people developed commercial products for the commercial realm. And I think that um, we need to see more of that in the VR space. And, and I think the idea of taking just consumer product and sticking it in an arcade or call a, a retail space and calling it an arcade and charging by the hour is not a sustainable business. Um, I think that... Okay. So, so, but that doesn't mean you can't run a dedicated VR arcade with the right types of experiences and the right positioning and the right pricing. And I think VR World in New York is a great example of that, where they're doing that, but they've created different. You know, they're they're charging an all-you-can-eat price. They have a bar. It's a place to hang out each booth is its own dedicated experience. And so you go in and you walk the plank and you go over here and you do, and you, and you do raw data and you play against your friend and you go over here and you do, um, you know, space pirate trainer. And so each quote unquote booth is, um, is its own dedicated experience versus going in and, and, Standing in a booth for an hour and switching game to game, I think that I think that's a massive difference that turns an a, a, a demo of technology into an experience center. And I don't know why more people aren't figuring that out. Um, that's re- that's really interesting. I hadn't heard about that. That's actually pretty cool. Yeah. So, um, and I think and I think uh, IMAX VR is doing similar thing too, where like each each booth has its own attraction. Um, and it and and it, and it forces you to move from booth to booth, to booth, and it makes it more of an experience versus just donning a headset and and going into a phone booth. Um, what was your question? Because I feel like I might have derailed it a little bit. <laughs> uh,
1: my question was: In the next five years, what changes in the entertainment market can we reasonably expect to see? Uh, you've actually touched on a lot, some other questions with that, especially with virtual reality, how the market is currently, and what we can expect in five years. Yeah, uh, so I, we, I we, think we've that, got. I,
0: and i also think there's another thing in that i think that you know there's a lot going on in esports and this con- this 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 concept of esports and there's a lot of people trying to figure out how to make esports into a location based entertainment experience and mm-hmm. because right now it's basically a consumer experience and the and 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 the esport is the pinnacle of it and the spectation of it and you can work your way into that potentially by being really good at home, and I think with v- I think VR holds the possibility of um, of potentially making esports something that starts at location based entertainment and works its way mm-hmm. up into a stadium like spectation event. And I think as mm-hmm. AR develops, the ability to make that spectation more interactive and more augmented actually might help that and i'm surprised we never saw that with laser tag to be honest with you like like we never got this big movement of laser tag leagues and tournaments they stayed very local and um and i know you know within laser storm and qzr and zone they had their own tournaments but they were all kind of within their own little corporate spheres or own technology spheres and we didn't I don't know that we ever saw this like big national or international movement of laser tag competitions. And I don't know why that was, I don't know why that didn't happen. Um, maybe because there was no national organization to organize it or something or, or what, but I'm, I, I, I expected that and it didn't happen.
1: Bob, well, I could talk to you about that one for hours. Um,
0: <laughs>
1: I have, as somebody that has played competitively, I have a lot of thoughts on that. Um, I will say the, the biggest thing about that is at high level play the skill sets between systems do not translate Um, so there's no reason for a laser storm player to go play a high level say laser quest tournament
0: um, because they're just going to get
1: yeah they're going to get smoked and so people like to stay in their own little realms and then a lot of it was because it was uh, user run and not corporate run
0: Yeah. Um,
1: but um, since we're on the topic of laser tag uh, let's move on to my next question is Uh, I don't know how much you pay attention to it now. I'm sure you do, but has the laser tag industry been innovating their products enough to compete with these new forms of entertainment?
0: Yeah. Um, I certainly have some opinions on that. Um, I've talked to a lot of people in the laser tag business and, and and what they tried to do was innovate different game modes. Um, And, you know, by somebody's count, there were over a hundred different game modes. If you look across all the different manufacturers, but all anybody wants to play is capture the flag and free for all. And so, Um, I think that this is, this just comes down to innovation, which is not understanding your customer's wants and needs and what companies tend to do is innovate, um, from the technology space or what they believe they know and really not understanding what the customers want. And so, um, I think that that's really, there's been, there've been incremental innovations regarding, you know, integrating mobile devices and and Bluetooth and thing into some of the laser tag equipment, but I'm not sure that those innovations have meaningfully driven, changed um, the player experience. I think the biggest innovation in laser tag has been the tactical stuff that's happened and, um, and Uh that just, you know, changes the feel of it, but doesn't really necessarily change the experience. Um, So I, um, I don't know. I think that, I, I think that it's still very accessible price wise. Um, You know, it's, it's something that, is, you know, it's a, was it seven bucks, eight bucks, 10 bucks for a game of laser tag. Um, and yep. and and I think that that's because it's it's high throughput. So the operators can move a lot of people through during peak time. So they don't have to charge a lot. Um, and that's, it's really competitive advantage versus VR, which is expensive and low throughput. So the pricing has to be a lot higher. And, and I don't know if and when that's going to change. And until it does, I think laser tag is going to, continue to survive mostly because it provides that visceral um, thrill and competition. And I think those are things that are timeless.
1: So let me ask you a question.
0: Uh, How can laser tag enhance their product
1: to maintain that market share? What can they do to say, meet the expectations of the customer?
0: Yeah, I think, I think augmented reality is going to change laser tag in, in massive ways. And, and the problem is the technology is just not there yet. I've tested a lot of the AUG AR stuff that's out there, the best of breed. And, um, and you know, with the exception of potentially Magic Leap, and I'll just leave it at that, because um, no one's allowed to talk about it. Um, <clears throat> You know, HoloLens, sure. is ter- HoloLens is terrible. It's like peeking through a keyhole. Um, the field of view is so narrow. And so it just, um, I, I think that You know, if we can get a really good augmented reality product that um, adds a layer uh, um, uh, uh, an artificial layer onto the real arenas, I think that can create all kinds of different games, storytelling, adventure um, that transports people to different worlds. And I think that that's where laser tag and VR wind up really merging. Um, And until that happens... Um, yeah, I'm not sure to be honest with you. I just, I think, you know, the, the, the equipment's the equipment and the experience is the experience and the arenas are the arenas. And there's some, you know, we can repackage all of that shit however we want, but I just don't know where the innovation might lie around laser tag until AR becomes reality. Fair enough, fair enough. So that brings me to my, the million dollar question.
1: And one of the favorite ones I had prepared for this interview uh, will VR replace laser tag as a form of entertainment? Will it make it obsolete?
0: Um, I think the economics, and you know, and this is part of the the, the thesis. The, I think the economics prevent that, um, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe at some point it flips over. Um, and as the tracking systems get more innovative and more, um, and pot- potentially get democratized. Um, that can change. But then you still have the challenge of how many people can you fit in a given space wearing, you know, with VR equipment. Um, I I think there's real challenges to that because of the economics. I think that VR is is still a high-end expensive product to build and maintain and operate. And therefore, the price per game is expensive. And I think laser tag is inexpensive. And um, you know, in the next two or three years, I think you'll see the cost of the tracking systems come down dramatically and that will help bring the cost of the experience down. Um, I think that there are, um, the, the, the notion of like, so I played, I just recently played, um, so zero latency is developed and a lot of companies are developing competitive VR team-based experiences. And I played, I played a a very early pre-production test version of the one that zero latency is, um, is, is test is developing yesterday. Um, and it was four on four in a 2000 square foot space. Um, and it felt tight, like it was, it, it, it felt crowded and that was only eight people in a 2000 square foot arena. And with laser tag, I think you could put, I don't know how many people could you fit in a 2000 square foot laser tag arena comfortably 12. Oh, you can fit more than that. Uh, depending on what the system is and how you have the arena designed, you can fit up to twenty. Yeah. So, so like that's a lot. And so, and I'm and I'm sure it would feel crowded there too. Um, I know we sure. recommend. Yeah, I sure. think we were we recommended at Laserstorm one player per hundred square feet. So yeah, you're probably right, twenty. Um, and so, um, yeah, I think that I think that that's a challenge. I can't imagine twenty people in VR in a two thousand square foot space um playing competitive like running around shooting each other and 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 why that is is a really interesting question. Um, there's and I don't know the answer like literally it's something about the fact that there is some latency there is some delay there's a lack of there's a lack of surety of where that avatar really is. are they really there like there's some there are some issues there that are that are at play that I haven't quite um, reflected on which I'll have to do but I think there's definitely a challenge there, and that's why I think VR not it, replacing laser tag is is something that I don't predict because I don't think economically uh-huh. it, it replaces it econo- from an economics and an ROI standpoint.
1: Okay, that, that's a great answer. That's, that's a definitely an interesting perspective. I, I like that. Um, so I want to shift gears a little bit more towards um, a topic on... I don't know how the, the phrase is topic, so I'm just going to go into the next question. Sure. Uh, in your past experience, sorry, more on standalone laser tag places, mm. um, which is a lot of what this reviews on. So, like in your past experience, I don't know how much you've dealt with specific owners and whatnot, but as LaserStorm CEO, like, what would you attribute to these closing? So, cl- nah. let me start over. Sorry, okay. it's been a long night. Um, mm. There's been an uptick in standalone laser tag centers closing. In your past experience, what do you attribute to these centers closing? More Mm. changes in the market, or the efforts of the ownership of the places?
0: Um, Like, if I had to choose one or the other, it's always going to be the ownership and operation. Like, I think I think that good operations trump everything else, and so um, I think that's always going to be the first thing. Now, without understanding each, now the, the other side of that is every location has a story. Um, And so, Mm -hmm. you know, the gross generalization is if you're a great operator, you can overcome a lot. If you're a shitty operator, you're going to be subject to the whims of the marketplace and all kinds of things are going to buffet you. And so um, and that's true for any business. Uh, Are you specifically talking about laser storm arenas or um, because I can't believe they're still open, to be honest with you. The fact that there's any still operating almost 20 years after I shut down the company is somewhat amazing to me. (laughs) um and so there there are
1: (laughs) there are multiple but they are they are getting fewer so that yeah and they're just and they're just
0: struggling getting parts and and they're they're struggling like i i understand that recently the guy that was making the the spare parts you know has stopped supplying parts and and the tooling isn't you know around and to get more plastic so i think that you know it feels to me like um like the the useful life of the laser laser storm equipment is really um which is it's outlived its 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 intention um is probably coming to an end because of the ability to continue to you know to scavenge parts and you're going to see fewer and fewer of those available over time um, um i don't know are you also seeing like laser freestanding laser tag facilities just close in general or is it just like the specific yes. laser storm Yeah.
1: Not specific laser storms, just hmm. standalone laser tags uh, in general. Uh,
0: and and are these are these sites in your in your view have they been open a long time or are they like new ones open and they fail right away? What's the what's the trend you're seeing? Combination of them. Them? it's a combination of both, hmm. right? Yeah. I, I think. Look, I, so I like think when. I think in the laser in the laser storm days, like we were really always trying to figure out how do we innovate and we did it, we tried to do it through theming and arena design. Um, and looking back on it, the reality is changing the theme didn't really change the game. And and so we started trying to do things with target pods and you know, and I don't know if you ever got to do the X-Men thing where we had, you know, you know, cerebro and things shooting back at you and, and question and answer trivia games in laser tag. Like we did we tried some crazy shit to try to change up the experience but i think that 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 core experience of shooting your friends like this is something i find really really funny even in vr that's mostly co-op anytime there's a break in the action everybody wants to turn around and just shoot their friends and it's not a, like it doesn't do anything <laughs> but it's just like it's like that's what people want to do they just want to shoot their friends and they want to shoot zombies those are the two universal truths and so um and if your friend's a zombie, oh, <laughs> that's amazing. And so I think that, I I think that that's, um, and, and so from an innovation standpoint, if you open and you don't give really good service, or you're not in a good location, or you don't price it right, or somebody opens a better arena down the block from you, like these are all things that can really impact a business. And like I said, every location has its own story. We've got 18 zero latency arenas open, and I look at them and they range from doing, you know, next to nothing to over a hundred only hundred fifty thousand dollars a month in revenue and I look at it like why will one site do over hundred fifty thousand dollars a month and one site do thirty thousand dollars a month or twenty thousand dollars a month and right. and 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 everything in between and every site has its own story so it's really hard to make generalizations around um, why things why places close that's fair but you did bring up an
1: interesting point uh, that you would always lean towards the sides of ownership. So I actually yeah. want to ask some questions on what you feel makes a good owner-operator. And the first question I have is, do you feel that their education and business background as not just the standalone, but an FEC owner factor heavily in the success of their business?
0: Um, yeah, so education, like I'm obviously heavily biased. I, you know, didn't graduate college. So to me, education is, um, you know, I have my own biases around education and, and certainly around... Um, That's fair around formal education, and I know this is, you know, this is part of your path that you've chosen, and, um, and so it hasn't, lack of education hasn't held me back, um, and I think as an, on, you know, being an entrepreneur, I'm not sure you learn entrepreneurial schools um, skills in school, and I know there are entrepreneurial programs, and I've even spoken and, and guest lectured at some of them, um, but I'm not sure how useful they are, um and so i don't know if i don't think it's education um i think experience is another thing and um i do think there's a lot of people that get in these businesses that are passionate about it and when you get in a business that you're passionate about sometimes you overlook um the challenges and i'll give you a great example so charlie keegan who's the ex-ceo of main event um, they recently opened, or at least the last couple of years, they opened a, a main event entertainment center on International Drive in Orlando, where we put a, la- a, a zero latency. Um, and they opened uh-huh. it up um, on, um, at, a, at the Point Orlando Shopping Center, and, which was a tough location. So Namco opened a level 247 or 257 um, uh, entertainment center there several years ago, and it failed. Um, And there were a bunch of other businesses. The shopping center is really a tough location. Um, And and they went forward. Main event went forward. Nevertheless, and it's really struggled. Um, And they uh, and after I talked to Charlie about it a year later, he said they were so excited about being on International Drive that they overlooked the challenges of that particular site. And um, so here's an example of a very, very smart man, well educated, mat- decades of experience in the restaurant and entertainment industry, um, a well funded public company that's a, bil- a multi billion dollar organization with all the resources in the world. And because they got excited, they overlooked some of the challenges. And I think that the lesson there for entrepreneurs is if you're getting in a business you're passionate about, Bring in somebody like a, a consultant, another set of eyes who doesn't give a shit about your business, um, to help you see some of your blind spots because you're just going to overlook them because of your excitement.
1: That's great advice. So I'm going to follow up on the education path, not formal, but how important do you think it is in the continued research regard regarding one's entertainment industry that they're in to their continued success?
0: I think it's massive. Um, I think that the hallmark of a of a an evolved person is learning from other people's mistakes, and um, you know, and that's something that I'm trying to do. Is I've made a lot of mistakes over my career, and you know, I'm trying to share some of the learnings from those mistakes with other people who are willing to listen. The reality, though, is the human condition suggests that um, there's for some reason there needs to be pain associated with lessons for them to really stick. <laughs> <laughs> and and in business that pain True. yeah in business oftentimes that pain comes in the form of dollars and cents um, and so but yeah there's like massive communities and associations and and conferences and trade shows and 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 consultants and advisors and mentors and there's all kinds of resources out there to tap into and if you don't use them you I, you know I think ultimately you get what you deserve or what you've what you've what you've what you've bought for yourself. <laughs> Right. And especially in in this day and age with like the internet, right? (laughs) Like there's, there's no excuse. It's It's right there. Fuck. (laughs) It takes five minutes just to
1: to get whatever you want, really. So follow up question, uh, in your opinion, what is the most important quality for an FPC owner to have?
0: Hmm. That's a really good question. Um,
1: A follow up is what's an important quality for an FEC center to have as well that helps you organize your thoughts a little bit better.
0: Yeah, well, so owner and owner and what was the other one? They sounded the same to me. Center. The center itself. yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I'd say from the owner, um, I think and I think you could say this about I, this this has very little to do with family entertainment centers or even business. Um, there's a thing called beginner's Mind. Um, which is approaching a problem with no assumptions and forgetting what you know and being willing to learn and listen. And I think that that is, if I were to point to a trait that is missing from a lot of entrepreneurs, um, it's that. And I, and, I, and I didn't have that in the beginning. Like I thought I had all the answers and, and during a period of time I did. And a lot of things, if not everything I did, wound up being successful until it wasn't. Um, And so I think that um, going into a business with a set of strong assumptions, um, especially in an evolving business like the entertainment industry, as technology becomes more and more a part of it, is dangerous. And so um, what I try to counsel people to is, um, is just be aware of what you don't know. And um, because like anybody can go in and copy what somebody else does, and think they know why it's successful. And I'll give you a great example back to Laser Storm. So, um, one of the innovations that we did in laser, like so, the biggest failure point in a laser tag system is the cable that connects the gun to the. well, When they were cable connected, they're probably all wireless now. Um, but there was a cable that connected the gun. They're to not. The, to to the, they're not. They're still cable. They're not wireless. Yes. That's crazy. Um, okay. So <laughs> all right. <laughs> wow. Um, it's still the
1: biggest problem point. You're right yeah, that has not changed in thirty
0: years. and and so one of the things we found and through a lot of trial and error was that um, we used we we used a flat cable instead of a round cable. Um, and that took a lot of trial and error and experimentation. And we were the only company that were using flat cables for years and years and years. Um, and people that were looking at us and copying us didn't know that the flat cable was a key part of the reliability of the system um so they just thought they just saw a cable they didn't see a flat cable they saw a cable and so the the reason i bring that example up is you walk into a family entertainment center and you say okay they have they have i'll i'll use main event as an example they have bowling they have an arcade they have an ice cream shop they have a restaurant they have a bar they've got some party rooms they've got a vr or laser tag center they have whatever you think okay that's the reason that they're successful and and but below, there's a layer below that, and a layer below that, and a layer below that, and a layer below that, where there are processes right. and and innovations and unique things that they do that might make them more successful that you just don't necessarily see. And so, um, you know, going in and just thinking, okay, if I have this, 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 I'm going to be successful, is really naive and not taking into consideration the depth of 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 knowledge and experience you have to have to build a successful business. So. Um, So that's the thing I think as far as the owner goes is just really understanding what you don't know and or being open to learn what you don't know um, and figuring out how to answer those questions. Um, And then as far as the center goes, I think, you know, I'll go back to it. I think food and beverage is is a key. I think that depending on your market, like if your market is is trampoline park market, you know, seven to 12 year olds, I'm sure hot dogs and pizza are fine. Um, you right. know, are you catering to the parents? Maybe, maybe not. Ultimately, who makes the decision to bring the kids? It's mom. Um, do you have a a nice quiet room with a good espresso machine for mom to sit there and have a really good cup of cap, a cappuccino? If not, that would be a really good investment. Um, but like really understanding your customer, who's making the purchase decision, what are their innate needs? Um, and how do you meet them is, is the key to innovating in any business and certainly in the entertainment business. Um, and so, but I think, I think a lot of times it comes down to food and beverage and, and most centers that, um, are, are under exploiting that opportunity. Hmm.
1: Hmm. That's That's interesting. uh, I like that. That was, uh, that was not what I was expecting. I'll be honest. Um, But a good point nonetheless for where the market's going. Uh, So another question. How important is it for an FEC owner to find ways to innovate their product and business practices? Do you think it's important or is it once they find a solution, it's okay to keep rolling?
0: Um, I believe that if you're you're either innovating, you're dying. And so um, I think that if you're, if, if you, if you build something and you think it's going to last forever, um, that's just a dangerous mindset. I think that if you're, because somebody else is, if, if you're not making yourself obsolete, somebody else is working on it. And, Uh um, and so, you know, I think that no matter how good you think your experience is, no, how how good you think your center is or whatever. Somebody can do it better. And if you're not trying to be that person, then you're just opening yourself up for somebody to come in and do a better job of it. And that's, and that's the day you open, like, you know, two or three years later, um, you know, and I see a lot of, a lot of centers don't reinvest at the level that they should, Um, or they Uh move, you know, they move games around or they move a couple of new games in, but they're really, you know, the main pieces are all the same for five or 10 years. Uh um and they're not like literally just ripping stuff out and replacing it with something entirely new um yeah that, that i don't understand that to be honest with you and it could just be the margins aren't strong enough to allow for that level of reinvestment maybe the roi is not good enough i don't know what the reasons are but um yeah but i don't see enough centers like ripping stuff out and putting all new stuff in frankly right, right i'm a
1: little biased but that was one of the beauties of laser storm when done well is that with a changeable arena, you can always make a new experience pretty quickly for people and market that.
0: And that was, Um, yeah, that was part of the design was how can we inexpensively give people, you know, the, the ability to change up the experience. And I think that barrier system was, was one of the key innovations.
1: Personally, I'm actually kind of surprised that no other tag since then has tried to do something similar. I know crazy, right? i i I do not understand it from not only as a fan just as somebody that's understanding that people want new experiences they want something different when you lock yourselves into it nobody's tried to come up with a way to keep it fresh in the arena you know yeah yeah seem like a no-brainer to me but
0: uh i'm just a student (laughs) anywho uh i think one i think the tron i think the tron laser tag arena with those tubes that they have, the plastic extruded tubes and stuff like that, I think that's pretty reconfig- reconfigurable. Lasertron, Jim Kessler's company. Um, yeah. I don't know how free, frequently people do it, but I think that whole system was designed to be pretty flexible.
1: I think the problem with that is that those tubes are very heavy and very awkward to move around.
0: Yeah, So, while so possible, certainly not something you're going to do a once up, a week. <laughs>
1: yeah. All right, one final question. Uh, this is more of like an open forum for you, but it's uh, what words do you have in relation to innovation for researchers and budding entrepreneurs for laser of laser tech centers, virtual reality arcades, and FECs. So go. To, so go your to
0: audience. Web, what you go to go to my website at bobcooney.com and download the white paper that's called "Innovating for Millennials: A Location-Based Approach <laughs> or <a> Human-Centered <laughs> Approach for Location-Based Entertainment." And there's a whole white paper there to tell you what to do, but in a nutshell. Um, it's really, and I've been studying innovation now for quite some time and, and, and I innovated by chance and by inspiration for much of my career. Um, and over the last several years, I've really been studying innovation and trying to understand how to do it intentionally. And what I've, you know, and, and really what I've learned is the way to innovate is to understand not just your customer's obvious needs, but understand their values and if you understand what their value their deeper values are you can uncover latent needs and a latent need is something that's not apparent um and then by delivering on something that's suit that 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 um fulfills a latent need you can create meaningful innovation um and so um i think that the research involved in that the design research involved in that is something that requires um, in-depth interviews it requires um, like a lot of people require like there's this whole thing around big data and 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 market research and as a product guy like we've always used market research as a way to try to identify trends and you'll send out surveys and you ask people what do you want or do you like this or this and the problem is all of those things create choices between what people know are possible um, and really to innovate what you want to do is create something that no one thought was possible and I think Apple is the best example of that uh-huh. in, in the creation of, like, you know, their original iPod. Like, why, no one knew that, you know, if you asked anybody if they needed 10,000 songs in their pocket, people would be like, why do I need 10,000 songs in my pocket? I think, Star, I think Starbucks is a great example of that with putting Wi-Fi in coffee shops. When Starbucks announced in the early 2000s they were going to put Wi-Fi in all their stores, conventional wisdom was like nobody brings laptops to coffee shops. Why would you need Wi-Fi? And because what they understood is there was a latent need for people to have a third place to go. And once they developed that place, that third place, what they were going to want to do is they were going to want to work. They were going to want to read. They were going to want to communicate with their friends, et cetera, et cetera. So they identified this latent need of a third place and they predicted what are you going to want to do at a third place? You're going to want to get on the Internet. And they created this massive Wi-Fi network. Um, and then they ultimately opened it up for free. And now you can't go to a Starbucks without seeing 10 people on laptops. But 15 years ago when they did it, everybody was like, this is fucking crazy. And so that's, (laughs) that's, that's the key to innovation is identifying latent needs. And the way you do that is you identify people's deeper values. What do you, what do they really value and what do they really, really, really need? And they can't tell you, you can't ask somebody what they really need. Because they don't know what's possible. So that's the key Mm -hmm. to innovation.
1: Fantastic. That's some great stuff. That's it. That's all I got.
0: Cool. Awesome. I was there. So I'm going to turn Uh, this around on you for a second. Um, By all
1: means, I was going to ask if you had any questions for me.
0: Yeah. What do you think um, the future of, what do you think is the future of laser tag?
1: So I think that personally, now in my own point of view, uh, what I'm trying to, my theory on the paper is that it is sustainable from an economic economic st- standpoint because of the low barrier of entry or the low cost of entry. That as long as you have an operator that knows what they're doing, that reinvents into quality and customer experience, they can be successful. They can live on that bottom level of. Uh, cost to entertainment ratio. So as long as they do it right, as long as they do some basic simple things like staying up to date with the market, understanding, implementing good marketing strategies, embracing innovations such as uh, online party booking, online social media, online, well not everything incorporating the internet. As long as they keep up to date with these simple trends, they will be able to be a market leader in the low cost area. Are they doing that? I don't think so. See, one of the big problems that I see from a lot of these kinds of owners is uh, setting their ways habits, where what they've had, what they've done for so long has continued to work. And while they're doing it slowly, they're not embracing fast enough. Mm. And I think that is kind of their, their detriment. I agree with you that I think augmented reality can be a, a big help to that. My own theories is that it's we're looking for a more quality experience. So a sense of immersion is key. Thinking, transforming it not from just a game and something you do, but an immersive experience, more like mm. a Disneyland experience. How you come and you get the whole package, not from when you enter the arena, but from when you walk in the door. Yep. I think if people embrace that kind of mentality, you're going to get a different, continuously different experience, a better sense of community, and a more worthwhile I'm dying for your buck. Yeah, I'm, but I'm surprised not that, hasn't, that I'm yet. Surp-
0: yeah, I'm really surprised that hasn't happened. I'm I'm surprised that we haven't seen more, you know, the, the the you know, the theme stuff develop. I think that, you know, we like Stargate Laser Tag was really really successful and then we overbuilt it with X-Men um and 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 raised the price of the product outside of our sweet spot and started going after the QSR market and so I think that was just a a a a, stra- a product strategy miss miss on my part. Um, but I think the notion of creating a, a themed licensed environment for laser tag and creating that story and giving that sense of, of context for somebody to go in and suspend their disbelief and become part of a bigger story. I'm surprised no one else has continued that, took that on and, and, and ran with it. I think there's, um, I, I'm, I'm shocked, to be honest with you. And maybe, maybe, you know, the return on investment just wasn't there for people or they didn't think, I don't know why that was, but that's an interesting thing to ponder. Hmm. Well, that's what what I'm trying to figure out, and that's why I think virtual reality is such a
1: a big uh, competitor to it if it gets largely successful because it gives you that immersion without the effort. You just put on the headset and you're in there, so it's a lot easier to just be like, okay, just buy – come in, put the headset on, you'll get that experience. Whereas right. everything outside it, you have to build the experience with not just your staff, but you and the mentality and yeah. everything that goes with it.
0: So one of the things about augmented reality, um, and this is just the, some of the science behind it is, so when you when you look at, when I look at, like I'm looking at my my lamp on my desk and, and that lamp is real and I know that lamp is real and if I reach out and touch the lamp, I'm gonna feel the lamp. Um, And now if I'm and so I believe it. And now if I if that was a virtual lamp and I was in VR, I'd be like, oh, I'm not sure that lamp is real. And if I reach out and touch it, am I going to expect to feel it? So there's, you know, there's this little bit of of doubt in my mind, no matter how good it is, that it might not be real. Now, if I put on augmented reality glasses and I look at that lamp and I say, I know that lamp is real. And now a, a volcano erupts out of the top of the lamp that, vol- that vol- the volcano is going to look real to me and my brain is going to believe it's more real because the lamp is real and I know the okay. lamp is real. And so AR has the ability to actually create more believable, more realistic um, um, experiences than VR does at least today because of that like cognitive belief that happens because I'm seeing a real environment. And so I think that, that em- like if it's, if it's used right, Um, we'll see those things potentially lead to greater immersion within laser tag. And I'm really, I'm really excited about seeing um, some of that stuff happen, though, to be honest with you, with the lack of real innovation in laser tag, I'm curious as to any of the companies are really up to that level of development. We'll have to see.
1: We will have to see.
0: I'm curious to find out myself, but I think because I honestly didn't,
1: know the advances of augmented reality until i started doing this paper so i'm curious to see what could happen in those five years yeah. it really could enhance any kind of experience and i think laser tech is one of those ones that will definitely benefit from it an arena full of augmented reality could be a very cool thing to just experience
0: absolutely um we the question you know, we just...
1: the que- oh sorry i was gonna say the question is then does it get stale after a while because well the nice thing about know, it is you can change show. it up.
0: You can you can change it up like with just software with just software. Like like software's expensive, by the all way. Right? Um, people talk about VR. Oh, all you have to do is push the button. Well, the practice, you, you get to push the button, cost somebody a million dollars to develop the game. Um, and so, but if you have a big enough footprint, you can depreciate that over multiple sites and, and still get your money back. And um, so I think with AR, the ability to change up that experience from game to game like you can with VR is really powerful. And I think that's going to, I think that's going to be a big driving factor for ROI for, you know, locations. And I think the the reason people are investing in things like zero latency is the belief that it's just a big empty room (laughs) and you can change it up with the push of a button. And that's really exciting to the investors. That's part of what they're investing in is a stage where in the future it can be anything. And, and, mm-hmm. and it's a really mm-hmm. interesting trend that we're seeing is the reason people are doing it. It's not necessarily what we're delivering today. It's what they believe is going to be able to be delivered a year from now, two years, three years from now.
1: Cool. Yeah, it's fascinating to see the, the industry evolve. I can't, wait to, I can't wait to be more of a part of it, I'll be honest, yeah. once I'm finished with this. I, I'm really fascinated by the entire entertainment industry. And this is, for me, it's a, this is a, a step into that realm.
0: Well, if there's any way to come to uh, Orlando in November for the IAPA show, I uh, um, yeah. I I I I'd invite you to join us down there and 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 check out the innovation that's happening. There's going to be a lot of new VR there. Um, you know, Zero Latency has a big thing there every year where they demo their new game at, at main event. And um, last year we saw two or three you know new games show up, and I think this year there'll be a dozen. Um, in the VR space, and maybe you'll see some more innovations. All the laser tag companies are there. It's a really good way to get kind of a feel for what's happening in the industry. I am going to have to take you up
1: on that because I actually just printed out my application to buy a membership to IAPA, so I do plan on going down in November. So,
0: Well, awesome. I'll, I'll have um, to see you there. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I look forward to it. We'll have to get together and have another conversation.
1: Yeah, especially since the paper will be done by then, and if you're interested, I can send you a copy.
0: I would you, love, uh, to, spoiler I alert, would love to see a copy of you're it.
1: Mentioned it. <laughs> you're mentioned heavily in it. You're mentioned heavily in it.
0: My ego would love to read it. <laughs>
1: Fantastic. Well, I'll be honest. Like it's you might, This isn't going to come as a surprise to you, but there's not a lot of academic papers out there on laser tag and laser tag's history. Mm. And you seem to wrote most of the papers on history. So
0: it was it lined up perfectly. Awesome. Well, I'm glad I could be of some help, and I and I wish you luck with the paper. and And what's the what what's the what are you working towards? What's the, the end result of all this for you? I will have a doctorate in business administration, so I'll be Doctor Fox.
1: And I'm are done. you
0: gonna? Are you planning on teaching, or what's your what's your goal with that?
1: So my, I do eventually want to teach, but eventually down the line, I would prefer to be uh, in. Either an FEC owner or some standalone type thing down the road. Um, cool, but yeah, I, I, I just want to get into the industry, honestly.
0: Yeah, well, if I can be of any help or make introductions or um, or whatever, let me know. I, I know a few people. I
1: appreciate that, Bob. I really do.
0: My pleasure. And I
1: appreciate this. This is wonderful.
0: I'll, um, if you'd like, I'll, um, I'll send you a copy of the recording. Well, it'll be up on the Facebook group, so you'll be able to get it there. But I'll also send you a copy. I'll link to the download if you want, if that helps you um, from note-taking standpoint.
1: It does. Uh, I cool. would really appreciate that.
0: Yeah, it's on its way. All right, fantastic. Bill, really appreciate the time.
1: You know what? I really appreciate you calling me from across the globe. Um, this has been in, uh, everything that I needed. So My pleasure. Thank you very much, Bob. This right. is very helpful.
0: All right. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.